So hundreds of years ago, this tradition began on Easter morning where one person would say something and the crowd would respond. My fear is oftentimes when we do this fancy tradition of ours, the response is just a rote response while you're turning in your Bibles. So if you're not in John 20 yet, don't get there. Think about what it is you're responding to. See, the tradition is one would admit and confess the glorious hope that they are filled with in recognition of the fact that the grave is empty and that one would say, he is risen, and the crowd would respond with? Now, unfortunately, you got about a C on that. You know he's alive? You know that death no longer wins? You know that we have real, true, authentic hope? You know, all of that comes from the fact that the tomb is empty and he is risen. All right, you're catching on. We'll see. I may slip one or two in there on you just to keep you on your toes, so be paying attention. John chapter 20 this morning. John chapter 20. Before I begin, let me pray. Father God, would you please do your wonderful work here? I know that it's easy for us to get into. We're just doing a service after a service after a service. Father, I pray that you would open my heart to the work of your Spirit. I pray you would speak through me your message, not mine, not the one I prepared, not any of that. Father, help me be attentive to what you're calling me to do. If that's speak up, Lord, may I obey and speak up. If it's shut up, Lord, may I obey and shut up. Ultimately, God, I just want to make you happy this morning. I pray for each person in these seats this morning. Father, that they would, <laughs> that their ears would be open. And they'd hear that glorious, glorious whisper come from the mouth of Jesus Christ that is their name. Fill us with hope. It's in Christ's precious name I pray. Amen. John chapter 20, starting in verse 1, it says this on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw the stone had been removed from the tomb, so she went running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. And at that, Peter and the other disciple went out heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter, got to the tomb first, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on, the, on Jesus' head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first then also went in, saw, and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. We're going to focus on a particular character this morning named Mary Magdalene. Lots has been said about Mary. Um, much of it is rumor and gross distortion of who she actually was. Mary Magdalene was not a prostitute. What happened was uh, a preacher back in the day, around uh, the day being 500 A.D., was preaching a message out of Luke chapter 8, and he lumped together two stories. And from that point, somehow we've come to look at Mary Magdalene as a 
a prostitute. Mary Magdalene was, was not a, a prostitute. Mary Magdalene was a woman who Jesus delivered from unspeakable horrors. Luke 8 tells us she was a woman who had seven demons. Seven demons. One demon. Way more than enough. She had seven demons. Luke is trying to express to us that if there was anybody ever who was considered hopelessly imprisoned by severe pain and affliction, it was Mary Magdalene. She had no ability to have joy, no ability to carry on normal relationships, no ability to enjoy an inner peace. She had no hope. People avoided her because they didn't know what to do with her. And then suddenly Jesus came and everything changed. Jesus heals her. He restores her. He casts out the demons. And then in an appropriate response, the the depth of thanksgiving and gratitude that Mary is feeling in that moment, she leaves everything and follows Jesus. She is with Jesus for the rest of his ministry right up to this point, the morning of his resurrection. In fact, little known trivia, do you know which disciple, which follower of Jesus is named more in the Gospels than any other? It ain't Peter. It's Mary Magdalene. She was there when the trial began. She was there to hear the false accusations. She was there when they began to pummel Jesus. She was there when they began to beat him and spit upon him and curse him. She was there when they began to mock him. She was there when he was laid out on the cross and crucified. She was there as Jesus spoke those seven seven different words from the cross. She heard every single one of them. She saw the soldier put the spear in his side and prove he was dead. She watched it all. She watched Joseph of Arimathea, a secret disciple, Take Jesus' body from the cross and along with Nicodemus, another secret disciple, bring the body of Jesus into a tomb and begin to prepare him for burial, wrapping him in linen cloths and spices. What do you think is going through her mind during that? Unspeakable sorrow. Anguish. And watching these two secret disciples who didn't have the guts to stand up in front of everybody else being the ones. No, that should be me taking care of his body. I love him. I should be caring for him. Are they wrapping him right? Are they putting the spices on right? How, how does this all work? And in the middle of all of this chaos and confusion, then comes the reality that she needs to leave and go home because the Sabbath is approaching. That Sabbath day had to have been absolutely excruciating. You can tell that there's some level of anxiety in her heart. Maybe that's why she got up so early in the morning, while she got up while it was still dark and prepared the spices to, to head back to the tomb. Why did she go back to the tomb? They had already done it. Didn't, well, maybe it was to go to make sure the job was done right. I mean, it was men, after all, who did this. Maybe, maybe she went back to the tomb because maybe they did an acceptable job, but it wasn't a perfect job. It needs to be a perfect job because this isn't just any other person. This is Jesus. This is my Jesus. Maybe she just went back to the tomb because she didn't know what else to do. She didn't know how to move into tomorrow because it seems like time had stopped. Maybe she went just because she wanted to be near her Savior, her Jesus, and the closest place she could get was his tomb. 
As she approaches the tomb, she notices something. The stone is no longer in the mouth of the tomb. The stone that's meant to keep people out has been rolled to the side. And, and immediately, she's, got, she's come to a conclusion. Immediately, so somebody has gone into the tomb. They've stolen the body of Jesus. And she, she hightails it. She runs as fast as she can to tell the disciples, they've taken his body, and we don't know where they put them. We have no idea where, where they put Jesus. Where, where did they take him to? Now, now, interestingly enough, John, the author of the book of John, um, is writing, and, and he, you know, he, he's the one that's known as the disciple that Jesus loved. Okay? I find it fascinating that in John's thinking, as he is writing the history of the most important event that has happened ever, there are two important details that he refuses to leave out. The first is by calling himself the one that Jesus loved. Who does that? That'd be like me introducing myself to you and being like, hey, my name's Frank. You just called me, you know, the one that Jesus likes a little more than he likes you. But, but beyond that, not, not only does, does he do that, but, but, but he makes a point to, to tell everybody that he's also a little faster than everybody else. In the most important story of history, I've got to make sure that everybody knows that I smoked Peter on the way to the tomb. John outran him. He makes sure he makes that clear twice in this story. And it says that John outran Peter. And, and while we make jokes, John did get to the tomb first. And when he got there, it's interesting, he hesitated. He didn't go in. He stopped. There's a number of reasons. I mean, the, to approach death in that way was to make oneself unclean according to the law. So that's possible. But I think there's another reason. And this is purely my theory. Okay, so Bible's here, my theory. We know from the scripture, the, uh, the gospel accounts, that, that John was present during the entirety of the crucifixion. Jesus actually interacted with him at one point. So what he watched happen to his Savior was already burned in his mind. And I'm wondering if it's, he got to the edge of the tomb and thought, I don't want to see that again. I don't want any part of that. But then when Peter finally shows up, because, you know, a little slow, he just blows right past John. He runs right into the tomb, and he begins to look around, and he begins to investigate, and none of it makes sense. None of it makes any sense to him at all. He can't wrap his head around. Okay, there's two camps of people who would have taken the body of Jesus. you got the followers of Jesus, but, but as he looked at the tomb, this doesn't look like the work of a follower of Jesus. A follower of Jesus wouldn't have run into the tomb and, and taken the linen cloths off the body of Jesus and carried the, the naked, dead body of Jesus out of the tomb. That, that was dishonorable. There's no way a follower of Jesus would have done that. But on the other hand, this isn't the work of grave robbers. Grave robbers wouldn't have removed all of the linens and left them behind with the spices, the very expensive spices that would have been used to pack the body. That, that's where a lot of, the, they wouldn't have taken the body. No grave robber wants a body. What are they going to do with the body? And then the head cloth being folded up neatly and placed down, why, why would they take the time to do that? If they're stealing, they want to get out of there as fast as they can. So Peter's examining the situation and he's confused. It says, finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, because John's just got to keep bringing that home, he went in. In verse 8, it says he believed. Now, what did he believe? This is not a hill that I am going to die on by any stretch. Uh, I'm not going to get any arguments over this. Some think that that 
John believing was he believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. My argument would be that's not what he believed. That the closest fact that John could put belief in was the statement of Mary that they've taken his body and we don't know where they put them, put him. So it is my opinion that what John believed when he walked into the tomb was somebody stole his body. Further evidence of that would be verse 9, where it says they still did not understand that Jesus was supposed to rise from the dead. Further evidence is what happens in verse 10. Peter and John, believing Mary's words that someone stole his body, went home. He's gone. What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? He's, he's gone. Why would we stay here? They're coming for us next. He's gone. I'm going home. And Peter and John leave the tomb. But Mary remains. Look at verse 11. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head, the other at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them. I don't know where they've put him. So here, let's stop for a minute. The fellas, fellas go home. Mary doesn't leave the tomb. Maybe, maybe she needs another few minutes with her tears. And this is actually a beautiful picture of how every single one of us, every individual responds to horrific situations in different ways. Some are leavers. I would say John and Peter are probably leavers. They took off. Some are uh, doers. You just start doing things. Some are, are weepers. Seems like Mary's like that. Some are a combination of all of those, but, but none of them is right and none of them is wrong. Mary here is weeping, and it's not just the little tears dripping down the face, the little quiver of the chin. This is ugly to the bone, full body weeping. And I've wrestled with why she was so mournful in this moment. I mean, not, not in, a, in, a, in a crude way where it's like, well, Mary, just rub some dirt on it, you'll be fine. Not in a dad way, right? But wrestling with really what, I mean, obviously the questions that are coming up in her head that are creating some of the, the weeping in the morning are, so, so who took him? Why did they take him? And, and, and where did they put him? I mean, you have those questions, but then there's other ones too. <laughs> now what do I do? I had turned my back on everything to follow him. Now what? How, how can I possibly go on? What do I do tomorrow? <laughs> Without Jesus, does that mean that value that, that God had placed on me, that dignity that I felt in my soul, is that all now gone? Are people now going to look at me and associate me with my past? instead of whom I'm with, because he's gone. I think, about, think, think about Mary walking through this whole process in shock and in agony and seeing the, her Savior. And now this, and now this. Now this an empty tomb. It's just this other thing that to be overwhelmed by. It's, it's being separated from him. Just another step. 
And she finally, she gathers the courage to, to look into the tomb for herself. And what she finds is what I would consider surprising. She doesn't even seem to react. She looks in the tomb and, and there sit two angels who are dressed in white, one at the head, one at the, the foot of where Jesus had been, been lying. And, and, and what the angels ask her is, so woman, what, what's the matter? Why are you crying? Now, this is one of those situations where it's like, well, if it was me, I would, and I would lie to you. Okay? Because in reality, if I peek in a tomb and the, the body's not there that's supposed to be there, there's two angels sitting there, what I would do, ah! something like that. I'm going to make sure you're awake. And if your babies were sleeping, sorry, we'll know in a minute. <laughs> um, I'd be terrified. I'd be absolutely, utterly terrified. But instead, Mary is so overcome with grief, I don't think she realizes she is supposed to be terrified. I don't think she understands she's supposed to be scared out of her mind to seeing these two angels. And she's, she's, her entire life right now is running through the lens of they've taken him and I don't know where they've put him. And so she responds like that to the angels. I don't know where to find my Jesus. That's what's wrong. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't know it was Jesus. We have no idea what got her attention. The angels had just asked her questions. She responded to the angels and it says, having turned around, she sees Jesus standing there. Something has caught her attention and she sees Jesus, but she doesn't know it's Jesus. Why does she not know it's Jesus? We don't know. Maybe she is, is just blinded by her tears. Maybe she's just grayed out in the emotion of the moment, of the intensity of the moment. Maybe it's the grief is just blocked. Maybe, maybe in the darkness there's enough shadows where she can't recognize his face. Maybe, maybe it's, it's Jesus has veiled his appearance from her so she can't recognize him immediately, much like he did to the disciples on the, the road to Emmaus. I don't know. But what I do know is this. Part of her problem was she was looking for a dead body. She didn't look at someone who was standing up living in front of her and think, that must be Jesus because dead people don't stand up and talk to you. And Jesus asked her, verse 15, women, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Why am I crying? This man, Jesus, saved me from a lifelong torment. He, he, he cared for me while other people wrote me off. He showed me how to have joy and hope and peace and love. He, he restored my dignity. He showed me that I had value in my father's eyes. And then, then I watched him restore countless other people. He made deaf people hear. He made blind people see. He put words in the mouths of the mute. He, he healed leprous people. And then I watched him bring dead people back to life. Why am I crying? Because he's gone. And so maybe I should just do what, what Peter and John did. Maybe I should just go home, but, but I can't even leave because I don't know how to. I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. Unfortunately, many of you in this room have felt the same way. 
Fortunately, this passage gives us hope. Look, look, look at what Mary actually says. That's what she could have said. But what she actually says is, supposing he was the gardener, she says, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will take him away. She could have said all of those things, but her only response was, Just give me my Jesus. You don't know what I'm going through right now. You don't know what it feels like. You don't understand. Just give him back. It's not going to fix anything, but I just need my Jesus. And the most amazing response in all of Scripture from Jesus to another person happens in verse 16. He simply says, her name. Mary. (laughs) She heard her name spoken from the lips of one who had said it numerous times before. She heard her name spoken in a way that only Jesus could speak her name. And in that moment, the reality happened. She had been looking for Jesus but Jesus is actually the one that found her. Mary. He doesn't explain the resurrection. He doesn't launch into proofs that it is him. He doesn't show her his wounds or his side. He doesn't do any of those things. He simply says her name. And her response is almost as beautiful as him speaking her name. She says, Rabboni! which means teacher. Now, that is such an undersell. It doesn't just mean teacher. It doesn't mean pastor. It doesn't mean rabbi. It doesn't mean good sir. It means my teacher, my rabbi, my savior, my Jesus. This is, it's him. And she grabs onto him. And that's what Jesus has to say in verse 17. Don't, don't cling to me. Don't cling to me. I haven't yet ascended to the Father yet, but, but instead, what I want you to do, Mary, is go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. And, and Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen Jesus! She told them what he had said to her. She holds on to him with every ounce of energy emotionally and physically that she could possibly muster up. She holds on to his legs and will not let him go. She's already seen him die. She's seen him be buried. She does not want to see him leave again. And so she grabs on with everything she has. And Jesus is like, okay, you, you got to let go, Mary. Mary? Mary, you got to, come on. Okay, I got a job for you, Mary. Go tell the boys. And she does. She runs to the disciples and says, I've seen Jesus. Now, in the other gospel accounts, they think she's nuts. They think she's just spinning tails. They think that maybe she's hallucinating and seeing things that didn't really exist. And she said, no, I've seen Jesus. Come on, Mary. How do you know you saw Jesus? He said my name. And that was proof enough. He said my name. When Jesus said her name, Mary, that was shorthand 
for him telling her, hey, no matter what, I'm going to keep my word. I told you that in me you were going to have real life. I told you that in me you don't need to fear death. I told you that in me there is hope. I told you that if I went, I'd come back. Mary. Mary, you don't have to fear the grave. Mary, you don't have to fear the shame. Mary, you don't have to fear the guilt anymore. I told you that I have got that covered, and my resurrection proves it. Bill? Sandra? Tim? Monica? Whatever your name is, it's on the lips of Jesus. I'm not going to lay out any arguments to, to prove the resurrection. I'm not going to present these hypothetical situations that might convince you that the resurrection is real. I'm not going to lay any other proofs out for your consideration. I want to encourage you instead with this. This morning, he is speaking your name. He knows where you need grace. He knows where you need mercy. He knows where you need hope. He knows where you need encouragement. And he isn't just going to send it to you. He rose from the grave so he could give it to you himself. The wonder of Easter isn't just the realization that this ugly, fallen world has an expiration date. The wonder of Easter is that he's called your name. And he's here, just as he promised, forever. So knowing that our risen Savior is with us, that he speaks our name, and he'll be with us forever, tomorrow's not looking so bad, is it? I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how difficult your life has been the last couple of days and weeks. I, I can imagine if you're like anybody, the last year, year and a half has proven to be one of the most complicated periods of time in your life. And I don't care where you fall in the political spectrum and all this stuff. The reality is there's enough darkness for everybody to fall into a hole once in a while. So maybe you're in that hole right now. You hear him whispering your name? He's alive. In fact, don't mess this up. He is risen. Come on, he even gave you a hint. I love you guys. When, when, um, in a moment, I'm going to pray. Just kind of close this out. And we're going to have some friends, both in the band and others, who are going to help remind us of the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Because we have a lot of hope. You pray with me, Father, thank you so much for your word. <laughs> thank you for the confidence we can have in Christ. Not the confidence we have in hearing about Christ, not in the confidence we can have about somebody else's relationship with Christ, not in the confidence we can have in the historicity of Christ or in the proofs of the resurrection, but, Father, the confidence we can have because you know us, because our names are written on your hand and our names are written in heaven. Oh God, would you please, please reach down and rescue the one who might be struggling this morning. Reach down and rescue the one who's got so many questions. 
Father, please, please remind us of the hope we have in Jesus Christ because it is immense. (laughs) Thank you for whispering my name. It's in his name I pray. Amen.